Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Hey guys, welcome back to Dark House. I'm Melissa Fiorentino, and I'm here with my co-host, Hadley Mendelson. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you're new here, each episode we dig into the backstory of a house that is allegedly haunted or notorious for some reason or another. We all talk about who lived there, who died there, and all of the events that led to its eventual infamy. Today we're discussing 657 Boulevard in Westfield, New Jersey, or as it's more commonly referred to, the Watcher House. The Watcher, of course, being the anonymous stalker who began sending threatening letters to the owners just days after they bought the house in 2014. Some of you may be familiar with this story already. Back in 2018, New York Magazine published a story on their website, The Cut, sharing the homeowner's story and some terrifying excerpts from the Watcher's letters. The article went viral and eventually Netflix bought the rights to produce a series based on the story. That's actually coming out this October. Now, the letters are truly bone chilling and don't worry, I will be reading them all to you. But I think what makes the story so horrifying is that they never figured out who it was. It's quite possible that the Watcher is still out there. I already have enough to be afraid of. Just wait. Just wait until we get into it. Yeah. I feel like I'm excited to hear this because I definitely read the article, but I need a refresher. My first time rereading the article, which by the way, if you have not read this piece, do it. It is one of my favorite stories of all time. But the first time I reread it this year, I was surprised how scared I was by the letters. Yeah. Like you said, I've read it before. And so I should have known what was coming, but reading them again was just wild. I remember them feeling really invasive. Like it feels like someone is in the room with you when they're not supposed to be. Like I said, bone chilling, but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because this happened during the age of the internet, there's been a ton of speculation online as to who the watcher is. So today I'm going to tell you the whole story because there's so much more to it beyond the letters. And then next week we'll be back with another bonus episode. Hadley and I will be talking to Professor Casey Lytle, who teaches psychology and sociology at Centralia College. He specializes in conspiracy theories, murder, and deception, so he's going to join us to go over all of the possible suspects and some of the popular theories floating around online to see which ones might actually make sense. I'm excited. I also remember you sending me some TikToks from this professor, and they are brilliant and so good at analyzing body language and other different sort of like behavioral mannerism type things to figure out things that nobody else could really pick up on. So I can't wait for that. Yeah, I'm really excited to dig into all of the theories and maybe we'll crack the case. I don't know. We'll see. But let's get into it, shall we? We shall. Let's go. We're going to Jersey. Our story today takes place in the small suburban town of Westfield, New Jersey. Westfield is about an hour drive from Manhattan, but if you don't want to drive, you can take the train. It also has one of the best public school districts in the state, so it's a popular destination for New Yorkers who are ready to settle down outside of the city. Fun fact, Westfield was the home of Charles Adams, the creator of the Adams family. Oh, that's fun. Did you know that? I did not, but that's interesting. Another thing that I always remember when I think of Westfield, aside from the Australian-owned mall, is John List. Do you you know the guy who committed familicide in that house in Westfield? Yeah, another crazy 
beautiful home uh-huh. with a really, really dark history. Yeah. But you know, it's more than 40 years later, today's story put Westfield back on the true crime map. So let's discuss. As always, we begin with the house. 657 Boulevard is a three-story home with six bedrooms and four bathrooms. The house is a total 3,869 square feet and is set back on the property, which itself is nearly half an acre. I'm going to go more into detail about the history of the house later on in our story, but for now, I'll just tell you that it was built in 1905. Okay. A lot of articles refer to the home as Dutch colonial or colonial revival, but according to the Westfield Historic Preservation Commission's design guidelines for historic sites and districts, it's actually shingle style, which evolved from the Queen Anne style, but also took inspiration from the shingled homes of New England. Similarly to most Dutch colonial homes, though, 657 has a gambrel roof, and the center of the house is marked by a gambrel facade. Right below this is a flat overhang that covers the front porch, which is enclosed by a short stone wall that wraps around one side of the house and leads to a sunroom. So if you're on the street and facing the house, the sunroom is on your right. Okay. There's an accent material stone that was used on the home's three chimneys as well. And the columns on the front porch and all of the wood trimming are white, while the siding is painted a light sage green. Pretty. Yeah. And inside, there are even more beautiful details. The entrance of the house features a front door vestibule, which opens up to a large foyer. Between the front door and a broad staircase leading up to the second floor, there's a built-in window seat. The walls feature white paneling and wainscoting. The floors are hardwood and appear to be in a basket weave parquet pattern. And the ceiling, which is painted to match the walls, is accented by thick white beams. These details continue throughout the house and especially into the formal dining room, which is just off the foyer. Also on the first floor, there are two living rooms, the kitchen and an informal dining room, and the sunroom, which has one of the home's four fireplaces in it. There are five bedrooms on the second floor and one on the third floor, where there's also an attic. And finally, Mm. There is a basement. Oh, God. All the makings. All the trappings. Indeed. (sighs) But hopefully from that description, you can tell this is a large and thoughtfully designed home with original architecture dating back to the turn of the century. With some of the other homes we've covered, these older homes tend to be anomalies and they stick out like sore thumbs among the more modern homes that surround them. But that is not the case here. There are so many well-preserved or restored homes in Westfield that the Historic Preservation Commission offers virtual walking tours through the town. And I'm sure that this section of Boulevard is one of their stops. Mm. To give you a little context, the street was developed by Chauncey B. Ripley in 1872. The homes in the 500 block were built between 1880 and 1900 and are mostly Queen Anne-style homes. The 600 block was developed next, with homes being built between 1900 and 1915 in Colonial Revival, Shingle, Foursquare, and Craftsman styles, which were all popular at the time. And a line that really stood out to me from the design guide was this. As Boulevard developed in stages during the following decades, the pattern of building was maintained so that today the length of Boulevard illustrates the evolution of suburban architecture in New Jersey. Boulevard is a beautiful tree-lined street full of stately historic homes and easily some of the most sought-after properties in all of Westfield, which has a very competitive real estate market to begin with. It's not uncommon to see bidding wars go down when a house is up for sale in Westfield and to close on a home on Boulevard. It's a huge deal. Wow, it sounds like it. For Derek and Maria Bradas, it was a dream come true. 
the couple who met while attending college at Fairfield University bought 657 Boulevard for $1,355,657 on June 2nd, 2014. Their previous home was a three-bedroom house elsewhere in Westfield, so 657 was an upgrade in size. It was also a few blocks from Maria's childhood home, so all in all, the perfect place to raise their three young children. Interesting that they had always been in the area and this house didn't have a bad rep or anything, but do we know what they did for work? Derek was a senior vice president at an insurance company in Manhattan, and at this point in her life, Maria was a stay-at-home mom, but she has a master's in teaching from Sacred Heart University, and she previously taught fourth grade at Franklin Elementary School in Westfield. Okay. Before moving in, the Broadduses began some repair work on the house. On June 5th, three days after closing, Derek spent the afternoon at the house painting. Before he left, he checked the mail. He found a few bills and a white card-shaped envelope. Mm. There was thick handwriting on the envelope that said, the new owner. Inside was a typed note that read, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Dearest and new neighbor at 657 Boulevard, allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched in the 1960s. It is now my time. Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? Are you one of those Hoboken transplants who are ruining Westfield? I will find out. The writer also made mention of the Broadus's Honda minivan, making it clear that they had physically laid eyes on the house. They went on to mention seeing construction workers there. I see already that you have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Tisk tisk tisk. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. You have children. I have seen them. So far, I think there are three that I have counted. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Better for me. Was your old house too small for the growing family? Or was it greed to bring your children to me? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am in one. Look out any of the many windows in 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. I have chills. I don't know if it's because I'm chilly or... I mean, I'm really, really fucking hot in here because the AC is hot, but I'm also getting some chills up the spine. That's so scary. Can they go take some advice from the Stambovskis who pulled out of the Ackley House sale? I'm so glad that we did that episode early on in the season and that we spoke with the law professor because as I was reading through more of what they get into, I could understand it. And the cut piece actually directly references the Ackley House. So, wow. Okay. For anyone listening and who hasn't listened to that episode yet, it's episode two of season two. Yeah. Go back and listen. So there was no return address on the envelope, but the letter had a signature typed in a cursive font, the watcher. 
And I'd like to also just take a second here to mention that the full watcher letters have never been made public. So we don't know how much of the letters that were missing. Mm. And it's a little unclear from which letter certain lines came from. But I've done my best to piece them together for our story today. Okay, so far so good. And it's funny because Derek was alone at the house. And by the time he read the letter, it was after 10 p.m. His reaction was to run through the house, turning off all of the lights. And I would have done the exact opposite. Every single light would be on. Yeah. He did also call the police. Good. And an officer arrived, read the letter and said, what the fuck is this? (laughs) And then told Derek to move a piece of construction equipment off of the porch so that the watcher couldn't use it to break in through a window. Okay. And that was basically it. After the police officer left, Derek booked it home to their other house in Westfield. That night, he and Maria emailed John and Andrea Woods, the couple who had sold them 657, asking if they had any idea who the watcher might be or why they had written, I asked the Woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened in the letter. Andrea replied the next day saying that a few days before they had moved out, they had received a letter from the watcher. The Woods's letter also included a mention of the watcher's family observing the house for years and thanked them for taking care of it. The Woodses said the letter was odd, but they didn't think much of it and they threw it away with the rest of their junk mail. Well, yeah, because they're getting out. So they have like whatever. They said they'd never received anything like it in the 23 years that they'd lived there. Hmm. Later that day, June 6, 2014, the Woodses went with Maria Broadus to the Westfield Police Station where they met with Detective Leonard Lugo. Lugo told Maria not to tell anyone about the letters, especially her new neighbors who were all now suspects. Hmm. Two weeks later, on June 18th, 2014, the Broadduses received a second letter from the Watcher. Wait, how much later was that? Like how much time had passed? A couple weeks. Damn. Welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been busy and I have been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found what is in the walls yet? In time, they will. I am pleased to know your names now, and the name of the young blood you have brought to me. You certainly say their names often. The letter asked about one of the three children in particular whom the watcher had seen using an easel in the sunroom. Is she the artist of the family? Oh, no, 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 no. 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. That's so fucked up. It's bad. It's really, really, really bad. But there's more. Oh my god. Will they sleep in the attic? Or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher and have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better part of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. The house is crying from all the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what used to be in the time when I've owned its halls. 
The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard, when I ran from room to room imagining life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then it got old and so did my father, but he kept watching until the day he died, and now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job, my life, my obsession, and now you are too, Broadus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard, and now it has brought you to me. Have a happy moving in day. You know I will be watching. And by the way, I said Bradis because it's misspelled in the letters. Oh, oh. Just an interesting detail. That's interesting to note. I feel like there's so much to analyze about this person just based off of that letter. A few things for me are, it reminds me of someone who, if the dad really was, quote unquote, watching it and told his son to, he's probably screaming from after like, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's a weird, just delusional, deranged son who wants to be important is the vibe I'm getting. Is it what the dad meant? Is it what the grandfather meant? Or is the watcher a completely unreliable narrator? Is any of this true? Yeah, I think probably that. But I'm also thinking if the Woods only received a letter towards the end, like right when they were moving out, if that's true, then I don't know. It makes me think that he's misunderstanding the dad's instructions, if the dad's instructions exist. Right. After the second letter, Derek and Maria stopped bringing their kids to the house. A third letter, which arrived on July 18th, 2014, asked, Where have you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 Boulevard. It is not in charge of me. I will fend off its bad things and wait for it to become good again. It will not punish me. I will rise again. I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me. 657 Boulevard needs young blood. It needs you. Come back. Let young blood play again like I once did. Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. What the fuck? Deranged. Deranged and also, okay, what if they decided they didn't like the house and so he's writing all these letters himself to get out of having to move in? I don't really think that. I mean, that's a really popular theory. Oh, is it? Yes. And we'll talk more about it, but I don't think that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it would be pretty elaborate and creative, but I'm also wondering why would the house be turning on it? Also, like, were they making that many changes to it or were they just making like minor repairs and renovations? All good questions. The Broadduses say that they put in about 100,000 at least Mm -hmm. into these renovations. But when this was being picked up by the media, the local newspaper, the Westfield Leader, published a story and kind of questioned that there were even renovations going down because they say that they didn't file any permits. Oh, Some people say that the renovations were more interior things like painting and whatnot. Yeah. I know that one of the things that they count in there as a renovation was adding an alarm system after these letters. Yeah. I choose to believe the broadest this year. Yeah. But okay, so what are the other theories on like, who is it? Well, that's the burning question, right? And a lot of people on the internet have asked, why didn't they just put up security cameras to catch the person delivering the letters, but the letters were sent through the mail? They were processed in the USPS Distribution Center in Kearney, New Jersey. So simply monitoring the house with cameras wasn't going to solve the mystery. Hmm. When it comes to suspects, their first thought was 
Maybe it's somebody who had bid on the house but didn't end up being the accepted offer. According to the Woodses, one interested buyer backed out after receiving news of a bad medical diagnosis, and the other had already found a different home. So that ruled them out. Reading more into the letters then leads you in two directions. Either it's someone with family ties to the house that date back to the 20s, or someone with direct access to the house in 2014. Let's start with the first one. Okay. In 1913, William H. Davies bought 657 Boulevard for $1. Davies was a prominent member of the community and even served one term as mayor in 1932. In 1947, before he died in the house, Davies transferred the deed to his son, Ernest, and daughter-in-law, Frances, for $1. They sold the house in 1951 to Dillard and Mary Bird and Nora Bird, who was a widow. Most reports say this was another $1 sale, but I couldn't find the documents online to confirm it. The Birds kept the house for four years and then sold it in 1955 to Lawrence and Mary Holmes Schaefer. According to their son, Bill Schaefer, they paid about $23,000 for the house. In 1963, the Schaefers sold the house to Seth and Floyd Bakes, who lived there until they sold the house to John and Andrea Woods for $370,000 in 1990. Based on some of the things that the watcher said, for instance, The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard when I ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants there. It sounds like the watcher is somebody who worked for or with or maybe was even a neighbor to one of these families. But given how they could see and hear things happening at the house today, it sounds like it has to be a neighbor. Yeah. Or someone who works at a neighbor's house or something. Mm -hmm. The easel in the sunroom isn't visible from the street. So to see their daughter using it, you would have to be in their backyard or next door. Beyond that, the first letter was dated June 4th, before the sale was made public and just a day after workers arrived to start the renovations, which were mostly interior. And the Woodses never put up a for sale sign. So the watcher Mm. must have learned of the sale either by word of mouth or... Maybe if they worked in real estate and had access to insider information. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of when killers will go to the scene of the crime or go to a rally or a vigil or something happening right after to kind of like go see. So what if someone was just really good at getting confidential answers out of someone they saw like starting to do work on the house or something? That really creeps me out. But do we know anything about the neighbors? Yes. And the next door neighbors in particular were prime suspects for a while. Here's what we know about them. Richard and Peggy Langford bought 661 Boulevard in 1961. By 2014, Peggy was in her 90s and a widow with several of her adult children all in their 60s living with her. Hmm. Derek and Maria learned more about the Langfords at a neighborhood barbecue a few days after receiving the first letter. The neighbor who lived on the other side of the Langfords said that the family was a bit odd but harmless and described one of the sons, Michael Langford, as kind of a Boo Radley character. Huh. He also shared that Michael went out to get his newspaper for him every morning. That said, Michael's brother, Sandy Langford, did share, I believe with New York Magazine, that Michael was diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young man. Hmm. He was also known for doing strange things like walking through neighbors' backyards or peeking into windows of homes that were being renovated. Okay. You, you know, mind your own is what I would say, but I don't know. The Westfield police brought Michael in for questioning twice. The first time within a week of the first watcher letter. 
Michael denied knowing anything about the letters, but Detective Lugo told the Broadduses that the, quote, narrative of what Michael said matched things mentioned in the letters. But still, there wasn't enough or any really hard evidence to charge him. And with so little evidence in general, the police investigation didn't get very far. So the Broadduses launched an investigation of their own alongside the official one. They hired a private detective who ran background checks on the Langfords, but nothing suspicious came up. They also hired former FBI agent Robert Lenahan to conduct a threat assessment. And though he ultimately concluded that the watcher most likely wouldn't act on the threats made in the letters, he did point out an interesting pattern. There were several clues in the letters that point to an older writer. Mm. For example, the letter was addressed to M slash M Braddis, and the sentences were double-spaced. Oh, dead giveaway. <laughs> yeah. He also noted that the tone of the letters suggested the author was a voracious reader. And because of the lack of profanity didn't seem to match the level of anger, the writer seemed, quote, less macho. Coincidentally, no fingerprints were found on the letters, but investigators eventually did a DNA analysis and found traces of female <gasps> DNA on oh. one of the envelopes. Wow. Mm-hmm. With this information, investigators took a closer look at Abby Langford, Michael's sister. Not only did she live next door... But she also worked as a realtor. Ooh. So investigators thought perhaps she could have been upset about not being part of the sale and thus losing out on commission. Mm. They were able to procure a DNA sample from her, but it wasn't a match. Dang. So then what, did they give up on that family of suspects? Well, earlier on in the investigation, the Broadduses actually sent a letter to the Langfords saying they planned to knock 657 down. And they were hoping that this would incite some type of reaction if one of the Langfords was, in fact, the watcher. Mm-hmm. But nothing really happened. So sometime after that, Lee Lovett, the Broadus's attorney, met with the Langfords and their lawyer to show them the letters and photos showing how their house is one of few possible vantage points from which you can see the easel in the sunroom. The meeting was apparently tense. And the mm-hmm. Langfords continued to deny that Michael or anyone else in their family was behind the letters. And eventually, the Westfield police told the Broadduses that they had officially ruled the Langfords out as suspects, but they never gave a reason for how or why. Okay, two comments. One, I think mm-hmm. they're hanging on to the easel clue a little much. I get it, but let's we need a new clue. Two, it reminds me of in Bridgerton when they're trying to find out who Lady Whistledown is, and they're like, we need to find what kind of ink they're using in the printer. Well, I'm surprised that the type of paper or they don't ever mention if it looks like a computer printed out. Yeah. The typing, or could it be a typewriter? I feel like that's a very obvious distinction, but it's never mentioned. Yeah, I doubt that. I guess if it were a typewriter, we would know. Mm -hmm. As far as the neighbors directly behind 657, Bill Woodward, the Broadus' house painter, shared a creepy anecdote with the cut. He noticed that the couple in the house behind 657 had a pair of lawn chairs oddly close to the Broadus' yard. He said, One day I was looking out the window and I saw this older guy sitting in one of the chairs. He wasn't facing his house. He was facing the Broadduses. Hmm. It's unclear if the police were aware of this story or if they ever looked into the couple. Besides the Langfords, there's only one other official suspect, the gamer. Um, At one point during the investigation, two detectives were staked out on Boulevard in a parked van watching 657 with binoculars. Around 11 p.m., they noticed a car stop in front of the house for a suspiciously long pause. The car was traced to a young woman who lived in a nearby town and whose boyfriend actually lives on the 600 block of Boulevard. The young woman told the detectives that her boyfriend, who was living elsewhere at the time, played some, quote, really dark video games. One of the detectives also remembered her mentioning a specific character called The Watcher. What the fuck? 
The boyfriend agreed to meet with Westfield police on two separate occasions, but he didn't show up to either interview. Ugh. And the detectives thought, well, maybe this female DNA on the envelope could have been yeah. his girlfriend or some other woman who may have helped him seal the envelopes. There is a video game called The Watchers, but it came out in February 2020. And there don't seem to be any video games with characters named The Watcher that predate this game. But the girlfriend did say that regardless of whether or not... They don't know for sure. Wait, well, then why did they say that? One of the detectives remembered her mentioning a specific character. That's what he remembers, but it could have been The Witcher or something. He might have heard her wrong and he remembered incorrectly. Okay. There's also just not much evidence to go on, but I don't have this guy's name or anything. It doesn't seem like there would be an obvious enough connection for him to have a motive. But I'm going to save that for later when we review the suspects with Casey, because there is a lot more drama outside of the investigation that I need to tell you about now. Okay, okay. To refresh you on the timeline, the three letters all arrive within the first two months that the Broadduses owned 657. Because of this, they never actually moved in. They had already sold their old house, so they had been staying with Maria's parents but they were still on the hook for their mortgage and tax payments at 657, and they were denied tax relief by the town. Mm. By the end of 2014, Westfield police had told the Broadduses that they had run out of options, so in February 2015, they decided to sell the house. They listed 657 Boulevard for $1,495,000 to reflect the renovation work they'd done. Mm. And they partially disclosed the watcher letters to interested buyers and planned to show the full letters to anyone whose offer they accepted. But the bids they got were all under the asking price. And at this point, they weren't ready to accept a lowball offer. In hindsight, this may have been a mistake. No one who was seriously interested was willing to move forward on the house once they saw the letters. Yeah. By May 2015, the Broadduses had lowered the price all the way down to $1,250,000, which is less than they bought it for. And at this point, they felt they had no other choice but to take legal action against the Woodses. On June 2nd, 2015, a year after buying 657 Boulevard, the Broadduses filed a civil lawsuit against the Woodses, claiming that the couple had purposely concealed the letter that they received from the watcher the week before closing on the sale. Yeah, that's kind of fucked up, honestly, especially when you talk about things like young blood. As a parent, I think I would get pretty territorial over not hearing that. Right. The Broadduses were seeking a full refund of the $1.3 million they paid for the home, along with the title to the house renovation expense reimbursement of hundreds of thousands of dollars, attorney fees, and triple damages. So this is a hefty lawsuit. I do want to say, yes, it's really weird to not take a letter like that lately and to not disclose it. But I think to say that they purposely concealed it, I don't know that I buy that because if they did, why when the Broadus has reached out to them on the night of June 5th via email asking about it. If I purposely concealed it in the first place, at that point, I would continue to purposely conceal it. I wouldn't be like, oh, yes, we did receive a letter and I wouldn't go to the police with them. I just would have been like, never heard of it. You know? Yeah, I think it kind of depends on what you how you define purposefully concealing it, because if they did ask a question about like safety or anything and that didn't come up, I think they could probably use that to help their argument? Well, remember when we spoke with Professor Goldman and he told us about material, what was the word? Material defects. Yes. So this is one that's like immaterial. Yes. Because even though it's physical, it's not something that the the home inspector would have found checking the walls or whatever. Yeah. I mean, even like you were saying about the police investigation leading to dead ends and not having enough physical evidence to 
actually proceed. I am even wondering like what about the watcher's letters is even illegal aside from snooping and voyeurism stalking yeah but if we don't know who a person is like how i feel like we don't have a system set up to actually pursue that you know which is not their fault but it just is one of the shitty things about it right they were hoping to settle privately but a local reporter found the court documents which contained snippets from the watcher's letters and their story began making headlines by june 22nd 2015 it was being covered on the today show wow Quickly, things went from bad to worse. The local newspaper, the Westfield Leader, published a report with anonymous quotes from neighbors who questioned whether the Broadduses even did any renovations Mm. on the house. Again, like I said, claiming no permits were filed with the town and that neighbors say they never saw contractors there. They also questioned the concern of their children's safety, pointing out that Maria's Facebook profile picture was a picture with the three kids. People began accusing the Broadduses of being the ones behind the letters, suggesting that the Watcher was a scam or an insurance fraud scheme that they cooked up. Some even suggested that this was their attempt to get out of million-dollar mortgage after having buyer's remorse. I do huh. not buy that. I think yeah. if that were the case, just pull out and then fight for the down payment. So right after I said that I thought it was screwed up or unethical, whatever you want to say, that the Woodses didn't share the letter openly immediately when they received it, then you started to go on and explain that all of the reimbursements they were expecting. I think it's a bit ridiculous to expect attorney fees, all of the things that the renovations they did, like that to me is crazy. Maybe one of those things would make sense to me, but it's kind of like, all right, you're asking for a lot. So now you sound greedy, which is what the watcher was saying in his letters. Yeah, I think the greed that the watcher talks about in the letters is about wanting a bigger house. I don't know, that very weird. Yeah, like the culture of America in general, probably. And because it was like a $1.3 million house. I'm not a lawyer. I don't work with lawsuits often. Often. But I do wonder if the practice is to put in, you know, when you are negotiating for salary or you're being offered a new job. Yeah, you highball. Yeah, they say you go really high because if they come in lower, hopefully they land where you actually would be comfortable. I was wondering if that's best practice in these types of situations to go high, hoping to come in a little bit lower. So maybe they would just end up with the reimbursement on the sale or something. Yeah. One or two of these things, because like you said, they're asking for a lot, the title of the house still. So then they could, I assume, still sell it. The neighbors sound pretty annoying, in my opinion. Like, I understand that. Which ones? All of them. Like, we didn't see them do anything. Like They just sound kind of like those stereotypical people who need to mind their own business and are like looking their heads over your fences. Like the fact that she had a Facebook profile picture with her kids. Okay. I thought that was really cruel to do. Who doesn't have their Facebook profile picture with their kids? Yeah. Like calling out her parenting. I understand that maybe at that point she should have taken it down instinctively because they were freaked out. But at the same time, I'm sure Facebook's not what she was thinking about. It's not number one priority. Yeah. And also like Not everyone has great media literacy of like knowing that that's even somewhere that someone could look like who knows what her social media literacy was. I don't know. And if we're to say, okay, well, there were ticks in the letters that suggested an older writer, maybe they didn't even think that the watcher was somebody who had Facebook or would know how to navigate Facebook to find their profile. But to call back to when I was describing the house to you, I understand the history of the town and these homes. And it was really cool reading through their design guide and learning more about how every type of architectural style, this town has it. It's so interesting. I'm like, was going to text you and say we should go. Field trip. Yeah, because I do think that walking through or driving through the town, you get to see a lot of really cool homes. That said, it feels like there was a lack of humanity here 
from the town. I understand that some of these residents were wanting to protect their own property value and their own mm-hmm. maybe false narrative that the town was safe and their community had nothing to worry about. But it's just... Anyways, back to the design guide. Sorry. <laughs> The way that they have rules in place that if you're living in one of these, if you own one of these historic homes, you're not allowed to use synthetic siding. If you're replacing your blinds, it has to be perfectly sized to the window. Like you can go through the design guide. There's a PDF of it online right on the westfield.gov website. And it's really strict, which I understand wanting to protect the integrity of the history of these homes. It's very cool that you can drive through town and see, like that quote said, kind of the way that architecture developed over the years but at the same time yeah how do you not see that these people are suffering yeah 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 in january 2016 the woodses filed a counter lawsuit against the broadises for defamation their lawyer argued that they were not legally required to disclose the note they received from the watcher a judge eventually dismissed both lawsuits in october 2017 but this reminded me a lot of again that conversation that we had in the second episode this season about the laws and mm-hmm. they they were not disclosure laws strict enough in New Jersey to, you know, really say that the Woods should have showed them this letter. It wasn't protecting the buyers. It was more for the sellers. Right. But Derek and Maria were dumbfounded. They could not imagine doing this to somebody else. And I yeah. think after a year, they were just so emotionally distraught and kind of pushed to this point. And like I said, I don't think that the Woodses were intentionally concealing it. But it could be said that so close to the sale of the home, why would they want to bring it up? And if you point out that those other two interested buyers had dropped out, you know, like maybe they just wanted to move forward with this and they kind of brainwashed themselves into thinking this letter means nothing, we're throwing it away. Yeah. I mean, I also do think that when you're angry and there is no viable suspect and you need to take it out on someone, it makes sense to me that they would become this projection for it, but it also doesn't necessarily make it right. It's like when Rudy Altabelli tried to sue the Sharon Tate estate for the damages, you just kind of get, you're in, you're in a bad deal. But I want to say that whoever the watcher is, and I don't think it's the Broadduses or the Woodses, they screwed both of these families over. Oh, yeah. But that was their intention. I guess so. Was it? I don't know. Because I'm kind of split between, was this just somebody with a mental illness who just was making things up? Or is it somebody who had a bit of a deeper, darker motive of maybe they wanted the house, maybe they wanted to lower the price of the house so they could buy it out from under the Broadduses? Is it somebody who hated the Woodses and wanted this very thing to happen, but then wanted the Broadduses to prevail in the lawsuit? So then the Woodses would be on the hook for all those damages? That I don't seems know. kind of far-fetched. I, I do think regardless of what it is, it's sinister. They were trying to scare somebody. As I mentioned before, there's one direction if you believe the watcher as an honest narrator. Mm-hmm. Then you're digging for somebody with <laughs> ties in this town for years and years and years. Hadley, I looked up everybody's family. Yeah. I was making family trees for these people. (sighs) There was no one suspect that fit perfectly or had any obvious ties to say, okay, yeah, smoking gun, it's it's this family or it was this house. What if it was even someone who had had a business deal go wrong with the broadest father and it wasn't someone even connected to the town, but it was just someone who was angry at this family? 
Well, I thought of that too. What if it was somebody whose child was in Mrs. Broaddus' class and they had a bad grade or something? But then I was like, it's fourth grade. Yeah. Anyways, 657 had been on and off the market continuously for two years with still no buyer. Derek and Maria had few options left, one being to sell the house to a developer who could knock it down and build two two new homes in its place. The design is not good. They're not going to like that, the town. Oh, yeah, you bet. They thought they could get $1 million for the lot, but the subdivision would require an exception from the Westfield Planning Board. The two smaller lots would measure 67.4 and 67.6 feet wide, which would be less than three inches under the mandated 70 feet. When their application was reviewed in January 2017, more than 100 Westfield residents showed up to voice their concerns. One neighbor who lived across the street from 657 actually hired her own lawyer to fight the proposal. Man, these neighbors are annoying. Crazy. The four-hour meeting concluded with a unanimous decision to reject the application, which is pretty petty because the board had approved a subdivision at 1100 Boulevard in July 2016. And even the Broadus' appeal of this decision was denied. That's why I wanted to include some of that information from the Historic Preservation Commission's Guide to Historic Sites and Homes because it reiterates how much this town cares about the aesthetic and protecting these historic homes. And so I understand not wanting to lose this historical home, but so then somebody else buy it. Like, what the hell? Also, the Broadduses were insiders. They grew up, at least the Maria, she grew up in the town. So it's kind of strange that she's one of them because I can picture them kind of wanting to be cruel to a newcomer from, like they said, Hoboken or whatever. But she wasn't. I know. And I tried looking into you know, my various suspects to see if any of them had gone to school at the same time as Maria had. And I couldn't find anything that quite lined up. Like, is this somebody who has beef with her from high school? Like, what is this? But again, most things don't connect so cleanly. Yeah. So yeah, it is really sad. But the Broadduses finally got some relief in February 2017 when they found a couple interested in renting 657. Though it's worth noting that the rent did not fully cover the mortgage. Mm. The couple had adult children and two large dogs and weren't afraid of the watcher, but they did have a clause in the lease that would let them out of the contract should another letter arrive. And just as a reminder, there hasn't been a letter since July 2014. Wow. Wow. Okay. The renters moved in on February 1st, 2017, and just two weeks later, a fourth letter arrived. No. This is my favorite one. Okay, let's go. Violent winds and bitter cold. Dumb. No, so I, I love this one. To the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the watcher is? Turn around, you idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so-called neighbors who has no idea who the watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighborhood and mocked me. I watched as you watched me from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters barricading its gates. My soldiers of the Boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. What the fuck? This is a loon. Here's where it gets really weird. It gets a little haiku-ish, okay? (sighs) Maybe a car accident, maybe a fire, 
Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die. Planes and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. You were despised by the house and the watcher won. Who are you to claim that you're in control of those things? I'm sorry, you're going to make the plane crash? Right. What? I think it shows that this person wanted to psychologically torment them. Mm Mm-hmm. Make them so paranoid that when something random bad is happening in their life, they're thinking it's a result of, I don't know, not listening to the washer or I bought this house and now people hate me. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. They wanted to make them feel like the main character in a psychological thriller where they can't tell if it's in their head or if it's really happening. I feel like that's what they were trying to do. Total mind fuck. But also they do sound like an older kind of cruel, lonely person. Because until you started reading me the threats, it sounded funny and just kind of pathetic. Yeah. Violent winds and bitter cold. Who says that? Ugh. Turn around, idiots. The renter agreed to stay if the Broadduses installed cameras around the house. That ended up being the last letter from the watcher. But on Christmas Eve 2017, several neighbors on Boulevard received their own anonymous letters. They were delivered by hand to people who had criticized the Broadduses online and were signed Friends of the Broaddus Family. Good. Well, Derek Broaddus admitted to writing these letters oh, in no. his interview with The Cut. That's and so he, said that he, he said that he hadn't even told his wife about them. But he maintained that he was not behind the Watcher letters. Okay, that makes me trust him a little more if he took accountability for the one iffy decision. Me too. <gasps> and some people think that him admitting to these letters means that he was obviously behind the other no. ones. I'm like, are you kidding me? I just want to call him out for the signature. Friends of the Broaddus family, that was too on the nose. You have to be less obvious. Well, because I don't think he has it in him to be mean. Actually in a way malicious that, yeah. or, or like creative. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Broaddus has finally sold 657 Boulevard in 2019 for $959,000. That's a steal for that. Yeah. Well under what they paid and all the costs that they had been paying for five years the thing is is what feels so different about this from other stories we've talked about is that it isn't an immaterial defect in the haunted house or a real crime happened here that just gives you bad vibes or weird energy and you don't want to live around that it's fully like there is a stalker linked to this home and so you're taking on the risk of inheriting that stalker really so it's a very different type of immaterial issue with the home you know it's a different type of risk and it doesn't help that the Woods has only ever received the one letter and that all of the the families that had been in it prior to the Woods's say nothing ever happened. They really enjoyed it there. Yeah, because they probably raised a freaky man who now is sending them. Although I kind of think it's a woman. I really can't wait to talk more about it. Well, the new owners are Andrew and Allison Carr. And as far as we know, they have not received any letters from the watcher who is possibly still at large. Hmm. When you were hearing about the new owner, Andrew and Allison Carr, Are we sure that they haven't received letters or is it just that they haven't come forward saying that they have? If they got anything, they haven't come forward. But I wonder if there's anything about them on paper that makes them different. I mean, they both sound like pretty standard, normal families. But I'm wondering if there's anything that the quote unquote watcher or tyrant of the boulevard would prefer about them as a pair as opposed to the other two. Well, yeah. What about the Woodses was okay. Yeah. That's why I'm like, I don't think it was about the house. I think it was someone who did not like them as the new owners. I do think it was about that. Huh. Why do you think that? 
If it was someone who just had some type of vendetta against them, couldn't they have figured it out by now? Wouldn't you know who was so mad at you they would do that? Plus, this just feels so specific for the end goal to be revenge. I think that the motive had to be wanting the house. But then my question is, who could want a house so badly that they could do this? I kind of don't care who wrote the letters anymore. Because I'm like, if they stopped doing it and they didn't ever actually hurt those kids or the parents, then I'm kind of like, okay, what can we learn about it for the future? What does it tell us about these types of communities and also the kind of person who wrote the letter? What else could they be capable of down the line if they did something this sadistic and manipulative? I don't know. Totally. And those are all great questions that you and I won't be able to answer alone, which is why next week in our bonus episode, we'll be talking to special guest Casey Lytle. Casey is a psychology and sociology instructor who specializes in murder and deception. He'll be joining us to go over all the suspects and theories around who could have been behind the Watcher letters and to hopefully help us get a better understanding of the type of person who could be capable of writing them. One thing that I'm excited to talk to Casey about is I was looking at his TikTok and he has so many interesting takes on the Brian Laundrie, Gabby Petito tragedy, murder. I feel like he's going to have some really interesting things to add here. And then maybe we can also ask him questions about some of the other cases that he's looked at if there's time. Oh, definitely. You know, I want to ask him about other cases. But speaking of time, that is all we have for today. So thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed this story. If you did, Hadley and I would so appreciate it if you could take a minute and let us know in an Apple podcast review. We love hearing your thoughts on each episode. You can also DM us on Instagram, either on our personal accounts, which both of ours are just our full names, or you can message us on the Dark House account, which is at Dark House Podcast. We'll be back with more on The Watcher next week, so stay tuned. <laughs>